0: Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Sutras here. Interesting rerun today. It's Mark Miller from 2015. This is before the Netflix deal. Mark uh, was on a brief American tour of a couple states and uh, was in suburban Chicago. Uh, He did do a couple signings at, um, oh God, Graham Crackers in the city and also at uh, one of the suburban sites as well. And I went to his hotel, where he was staying, and had a sit-down in his room, and it was fantastic. And I loved this conversation. It was great. I think that one of the reasons why I'm rerunning Mark today is because, uh, geez, I just discovered, thanks to uh, Owen McCauley, uh, his uh, wonderful new podcast where he's interviewing creators. I guess he started just a few months ago. I think he's got 12 episodes up right now. And, oh my God, these are great conversations with Johnny Ramita and, and Bendis and Jeff Johns, DiDio, but also, oh my God, he got Carrie Bates. Carrie Bates, one of my favorite DC writers from the 70s. And uh, in addition to that, a wonderful talk with uh, Jerry Conway and uh, J.M.D. Mateus. So many great stories uh, from these people, plus artists, Laniel Yu and others that uh, have worked with uh, Mark over the years. So that's great, and it's just got Mark conversations on my brain. And while I'm waiting for the next new one, this is an opportunity to play uh, this show. In addition to that, um, also, I I like the perspective of this conversation because it's before the Netflix deal, and you'll forgive me, but I feel like I'm trying to convince Mark that uh, as great as uh, the movies for uh, Kick-Ass and... Secret Service have been and his wonderful work with Matthew Vaughn, I'm like uh, Mark, you get, your stuff would play great as a television show, and it felt like I had to convince him of this so uh, judge it as you will um, back in the day uh, Arthur C. Clarke, the man who wrote uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey was on uh, a Chicago interview show with uh, one of my uh, interview gods, the great studs, Turkle, and this was made in 1962 and they were talking about space exploration in 1962 so this is still very early in the mercury program and they're speculating uh what they might find once we reach some of the other planets or the moon and it's all speculation and of course uh the real history proved it wrong i, I kind of have a a, a similar feeling about this conversation with Mark, because again, it's Mark from a 2015 perspective before the Netflix deal happened. So judge it for yourself, but I think it's great. Uh, Mark Miller from 2015 on today's Word Balloon. We welcome back Mark Miller to the show. Mark hasn't been on for about three years. Uh, it's tough sometimes to get your schedules to uh, coincide, especially when you're dealing with somebody that's on the other side of the uh, ocean. But uh, so happy that uh, Mark found his way back to the States this past weekend, uh, Chicago and New Hampshire, respectfully. And uh, while he was uh, nearby, I was able to sit down with him and uh, have a great conversation. We talk about his current comics, like Chrononauts and Jupiter's Circle, and uh, we talk about some other comics as well. Uh, recent movies like like Kingsman, certainly kickass kick-ass and wanted figure into the conversation, his collaborations with Matthew Vaughn. Mark's thoughts on uh, the current superhero television trend and really does a lot of his stuff or could some of his stuff translate into television as well as it has into films? Uh, those are some of the questions we discussed with Mark in our first part of Word Balloon. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon. This is John Suntris, Uh with an important plea for 2023. Uh, you probably read the headlines Uh, Word Balloon took a sponsorship hit that was pretty significant, and uh, I'm asking you if you've ever been a fan of Word Balloon and considered uh, making a donation through Patreon, uh, a very uh, meager but important subscription, I hope you'll consider it, Um, it's going to be a challenging 2023, and uh, I need your help, so if you like Word Balloon, if you enjoy the content, I'm not going to slow down and keep bringing you some excellent content, but uh, I could really use your help via Patreon, patreon.com slash wordballoon if you can afford the price of a comic book if you can even afford a dollar a month it would be greatly appreciated and uh, help the cause to uh, keep Word Balloon going at the level and intensity that I've been doing uh, in the last uh, four or five years and uh, bring you a lot more content and uh, a lot of great uh, interviews and interesting things about the pop culture world patreon.com Slash word Balloon. I could really use your help. Thank you for your attention, your time, and listening to Word Balloon. It's Faye and the Moon, the latest graphic novel from Franco and the Saturn Sisters. Faye, mourning for her missing mother, sits night after night below the moon that her mother loved dearly. One night she discovers she can pluck the moon out of the star-filled sky. Back safe in her house, she holds it close, feeling comfort at last. Then Faye loses the moon and finds that taking it has awakened ancient monsters, rats, dragons, and more, who hunt for it for themselves. Will Faye be able to reclaim the moon, find her own inner strength, and save the world from eternal darkness? Faye and the Moon comes from the minds of Franco, whose works include Tiny Titans, Superman of Smallville, archimaniacs itty bitty hellboy and the ghost in the owl and art from the saturn sisters whose animated works include sesame studios the new neighbors hulu's the awesomes by seth myers and pbs's mira selkie from the sea pre-order Faye and the moon now available in bookstores and comic shops everywhere february 21st word balloon is brought to you by alex ross art Com. Alex has been a longtime sponsor of Word Balloon. I greatly appreciate it. You got to go to his website. You will find tremendous art from original work, covers, pages, fantastic lithographs, amazing posters. Every price point is covered and every subject is covered at alexrossart.com. Com. You've enjoyed his iconic looks at DC and Marvel, but also great stuff like his wonderful work on the monkeys, Monty Python, so many other great pop culture things that Alex has put his fingerprints on. His wonderful Flash Gordon poster that evokes the fantastic Dino De La Renta, Sam Jones movie. Recently, Alex did things like uh, the timeless Marvel covers featuring great solo shots of all your favorite Marvel heroes. And, of course, his Fantastic Four full circle. Graphic novels still available, all waiting for you now at alexrossart.com. All right, let me take you back to last Saturday morning. Uh, Mark Miller uh, let us know that he was coming to town, and I was so excited. And I contacted him, and I said, "Geez, you know, you're you're in the neighborhood. Can can we get together?" And he's like, "Oh, absolutely. I'm staying about an hour away from you." And I'm like, "All right." <laughs> so, uh, and he had a ten in the morning downtown Saturday uh, signing. So uh, I, I got up early. Uh, and uh, met him at 7 in the morning out in the west suburbs of Chicago, and uh, poor Mark is still on, you know, British time and everything, so uh, he had been, like, walking around since, like, 2 in the morning, and I met him about 5 hours later, but uh, we had breakfast, and then we went up to his room and had this excellent conversation. There's a little bit of uh, air conditioning in the background, but other than that, as we both are amazed, it is the clearest uh, reception and and, uh, recording of a conversation we've ever had, including Uh, We did one. We kind of mentioned it. Uh, The the last time we saw each other face to face was in 2009 at uh, Wizard Chicago. And uh, God, he had this uh, much like uh, this past weekend, massive signings and massive lines and stuff. And there was just no quiet corner that we could find at the convention center uh, for the Wizard Chicago show. So we went up to the green room where all the celebrities were hanging out and we thought we were going to be alone and a guy with his head buried in his shoulders, hands on his head just aching, was poor Billy D. Williams. Lando Calrissian himself looking like he had just lost the Millennium Falcon in a poker game and we're both like, "Ah, uh, Mr. Williams uh, I hope you don't mind. We we were just going to do this little interview. Uh, We hope we're not going to distribute. He's like, no, that's okay, guys. I just got to clear them my head and we were like wow awesome sorry thank you and then we went in our talk so uh, that interview is uh, on uh, one of the old word balloons i'm sure you can find it but uh, it is great to uh, have the opportunity to catch up with mark miller and i can't hide my excitement but i'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation
1: with mark now on word balloon my local pub's just gone up for sale really and a bunch of my friends and i were saying should and buy this pub and then we suddenly realized what we like about the pub is drinking in it not actually managing it <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. But I think for for five minutes we were thinking about it and we were working out the maths and things, you know. Naturally. Yeah, if it cost more than five hundred bucks, <laughs> we weren't going to buy it. If it's under five hundred bucks, we'd buy it. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to listen to this. Yeah, this is the quietest backdrop we've ever had. Isn't it? It's always yes. glasses clinking and all that kind of thing. Well, yes, yeah. or
0: or like I said, it was long distance calls yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So and and you know, and the great thing is, both of us have difficulty understanding the other's accents sometimes. <laughs> So it's like, what was that word again? <laughs> so, Mark Miller, it is great to see you. It's you know, I think we were in a three-year rhythm, and I hope to like close the gap <laughs> and get it a little bit more recent than that. Thanks for doing this. No, at sort. all. Not
1: at all. It's great. We should warn everybody. Uh, that I'm jet lagged and I've been awake since 2am because in Scotland that's when I would have been having my breakfast you know. so I do apologize in advance The none of this hour makes sense to anyone you know? Jesus congratulations on everything every
0: year it gets bigger for you and I think that's wonderful at least that's our outside <laughs> perception but, uh, I just truly. see myself getting fatter every no, year. I no. just see
1: myself getting a little fatter I, I never see the
0: successful side of me you know? you're healthy man <laughs> no and that's you know I was I was listening to our first conversation in 06 yeah. and you were getting over Crohn's and everything everything, health-wise, everything's fine.
1: Yeah, everything's been great. I mean, ever since then, that that, that was really uh, a one-off late-up, fingers crossed, you know, touch woods and everything, yeah.
0: Very good. Well, let's start with comics, Yeah. doing Jupiter's Legacy and Crononauts. Jupiter's Circle and Legacy, I love the story. Thanks very much. Fantastic. And great to see that you're going into that backstory, because reading Jupiter's Legacy, it's like, oh, I really hope we follow, uh, you know, these original characters from the
1: 30s, you know, on and stuff. Tell me about both series. I well, think. it's funny because before I wrote Jupiter's Legacy, I knew I wanted to create my own universe, right? I wanted to create this universe of characters that had a hundred years worth of history and everything. And I actually spent about eight weeks working out the backstory of all these characters you were never going to see. And it sounds insane, but it was just so I knew the world that the the, the, the characters were going to be operating in. So I thought, I've got all these notes, I've got all these stories that are really cool, that I really love, you know. And It seems crazy not to make it into a comic. And it was my my lawyer actually said to me, I was telling him about it, and he said, this sounds awesome, he said you should do this as a book in its own right. And I was like, that would be cool. And, you know, because Frank Quitely really takes a long time over his art and everything, the gap between volume one and volume two was going to be around a year. Um, so it seemed perfect actually to run maybe a twelve issue series in that time. So the stars aligned and it kind of worked out well. And, and it's funny in some ways I think I actually prefer Circle Two Legacy. Like you know, like there's something about it that's kind of it's the superhero story I've always wanted to write. Like I wanted to do a period superhero thing forever. And there's something about that Madman area area that's so DC to me. You know, there's. When I see DC characters in modern times, it almost doesn't look right. You know, like when I see Clark Kent in a baseball cap or something like that, you know, or Bruce Wayne in sneakers or something. <laughs> it just seems yeah, wrong. I feel these guys should be wearing three piece suits and have oiled down hair and everything. They should look like John Hamm or, you know, Roger Sterling. Absolutely. Whatever. And it just feels right having these kind of classic American superheroes in this period of between 1959 and 1965, where the story takes place. And it's such a fascinating time in American history as well, you know, where you have, you know, the. Th- th- a, a different America emerging in a very short space of time so you've got this old world that's been around for a long time and then a new world that's, that's appearing so things like superheroes against the race riots are superheroes and uh, you know this a period of J. Edgar Hoover where he's got America in his thrall, and, and <clears throat> you know where things we take for granted now you know like a gay character having to be closeted because You know, he would would have to leave a superhero team. It's so different from if you're writing The Avengers or something now, where you could easily have a gay character and be openly gay. But it seemed fascinating to have somebody who had to even pretend to his teammates that he's heterosexual. So stuff that would actually seem pretty normal now, you know, takes on an entirely different resonance in, in 1959. And, uh, and the story, it, it just wrote itself. I mean, I, honestly, I would sit down and write a comic in three days. I believe And I it. usually take about three weeks. And the wow. faster I the faster I write, the better it usually is going, you know? So, um, I, honestly, I, I almost wish this was 100 issues long. It's, it's 12 issues, and I've almost finished it, and I'm really going to miss this book when it's gone.
0: Uh, well, that's interesting, because I wondered, and especially you saying that there is such a backstory, yeah. 100 years of these characters that you want to explore that, uh, yeah, like you said, it's, it's the opportunity to tell these stories now yeah. in a way that you couldn't have told them in the 50s and 60s. And, you know, I mean, that was part of the appeal with the Minutemen that Moore did with Watchmen, obviously. Yeah. And uh, also, you know, Cavalier and Clay. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing as well. So, no, it, I agree with you. It's it, it, is, it, it does play well in the in the superhero world. And it,
1: it gives the project a real grandeur as well when there is this, um, there is this history to all the characters. Like... The thing I love in Godfather Two, um, which people don't talk about much, but I think is fascinating, is that Michael Corleone and Vito Corleone are the exact same age in that movie. It's an examination of a father and a son at the very same age, and how different the world is, you know, for for each of them. You know, so you, you've got somebody in their very modest beginnings, and then you have got somebody who's getting incredible wealth and power, you know, um, at the, the precisely the same age when they're both having young families mm-hmm. and just getting married. And and I really love that. There's something just really poetic about it you know that our, our lives are cyclical you know our parents everything that we've got, we've gone through our parents have gone through and we, we you know we dehumanise our parents and we uh, idolise them and that's kind of what Jupiter's legacy is about that we don't see them as real people and what I wanted to do with Jupiter's circle was like take the characters who were idolised really in Jupiter's legacy and show that they were just regular people the They're same real life. as the kids yes. so you can never imagine that your mother and father at one point were obsessed with each other you know? <laughs> and yet that must have actually happened or your grandparents you know you can't imagine imagine your, your grandfather ever worrying that his hair was cool enough and things like that and, and yet it, it must have been the case because everybody was young once and and there's something kind of lovely and tragic and beautiful about it you know just the idea of like we all live roughly the same kind of life and I wanted to do two superhero stories then that related like that one about the fathers and mothers one about the sons and daughters
0: that's excellent and in, in Circle it's I've, I've read the first three issues and um, one and two are kind of uh, a little sub story along with the big overarching story. Yeah. And three was kind of its own story. It seemed yeah. taking the small town girl and, and turning her from sidekick to lover. Yeah, yeah. and and and, that, and obviously that's still going to play out. I imagine the the well, and we see it even at the end of three. Yeah, that the yeah. son certainly resents and knows what's going on and everything. And
1: yeah, it's, you know. it's, it's interesting because what I've done with this is I've taken superhero stories, you know, like classic tropes, you know, like fighting an alien starfish kind of thing, you know, in the first one, or fighting giant puppets and things like that. You know, it's like classic Silver Age imagery. um, And then blended it in with stuff that we would normally get in maybe, you know, like a Woody Allen film from 1979 or something. You know, so, I mean... Issue three's got Shades of Manhattan, which is you know the, the, the this a beautiful nineteen year old girl you know who this slightly middle aged man is obsessed with you know and uh, somebody who is known for doing the right thing being stupid and doing the wrong thing you know and somehow when you fuse those two things together to me it's quite fascinating like I suddenly, it suddenly it suddenly seemed more interesting when the guy who's making that mistake is wearing a yellow costume you know it just suddenly seems more interesting than a than a regular kind of soap so it's it's kind of it's a fusion of my two favourite things like I love European cinema and I love superhero comics, American superhero comics, and this is a fusion of that. Like The the, the big superhero adventures tend to take place in the background, and we have these little human interpersonal dramas going on in the foreground, but it does build up into something massive. It does take on a much more widescreen feel as the thing goes on, because the stories do all interrelate, we're, we're examining each of these six characters in turn, but then the stories meld and they blend and they become something enormous um, as we come towards the end of that year. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with it, is what I'm telling you.
0: I wonder, and we talked about this before we started recording, you're, I, I admire the fact that you've got so many different stories. You do your arc and you and you go away. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a second. What I what I am curious about, and especially with something like Jupiter's Circle, to me it would seem like that is the kind of thing that would make more sense. Were you to translate it to... Uh, film or TV that it would make more sense as a TV show because of the sub-stories and you really want that large canvas and I wonder because it seems like now television has really become the the, the long-form character study and film really is the big splash for two hours and stuff. You know, two things... Are you able to still tell in your feel you know, feeling interesting character stories in film? Does television interest you? I mean when you see what's going on with T V
1: and the longer stories? T V I'm, I'm a very weary convert to you know. Like, I'm not a massive television watcher. You know, I'd say since I was nineteen I've watched 20 TV shows or something, you know, in all that time. You know, Crazy. It seems nuts. I yeah. like, I, every show everybody talks about, I've never seen it. Okay. <laughs> you know? Except, I mean, I could honestly tell you the ones I've watched, and I have loved them. I've loved The Wire, I love Mad Men, I love Sopranos, I love Lost, Breaking Bad. You know, so th- there's like a handful of genius shows that I absolutely love. Other things, people say to me, you know, buy the box set. You might not like season one, but it gets great by season four. I'm like, I'm not spending that amount of no, time. You no, know? no, I so, agree. So I, I, I think if they haven't nailed it by episode one or two, I'm gone. You know, I'm out of there, you know. So, like, and um, so I, I, and it's funny because one of my projects they were talking about turning into a television show a couple of years back, and I spoke to the, the guys at the company, and they said, I said, I feel there's not enough material here to, to run for five seasons, like you're talking about. And they said, ah, television isn't. So much giving you the answer, it's about reeling you along every week, thinking you're going to get the answer. And I was like, "That's a terrible." Yeah, way to really, know. that is. I you was know, like, I, I kind of hate the idea of that. Yeah. but sometimes it does work because the slow burn of *Mad Men* is what made it cool. You know, that's one of the things. That, there was almost nothing happens, but then in real life, almost nothing happens. So that's sure. kind of interesting in its own ways. Where you just get into the character more than the plot. But I, I, I do see some awesome television too. Like I love Daredevil The Daredevil I CD wanted okay. I, I, I was obsessed with it. You know, I was binging on it. And like, and I was really busy that week as well, but I still made time to watch Daredevil. I loved it so much. Oh yeah. And you know, so so I do see some great stuff, and it does interest me. And there is one of my books that we're almost certainly going to turn into a television show. We've just done the deal, and we'll we'll shoot the pilot and everything. Okay. Um. So, I'm, so I'm, I'm 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 skeptical of television, but I see there's enough really talented people in it that it could be good. And I do agree. <coughs> Excuse me. I think Jupiter Circle actually would lend itself very well to television and I sort of almost don't want to wait 10 years to do a prequel series of movies once we've done the Jupiter's Legacy movies, I kind of, you know, we're, we're going to make the Jupiter's Legacy movies soon. That's you know? fantastic, um, and hopefully that'll be maybe two or three movies, um, and then you would maybe have to wait and do the prequels afterwards. Whereas it would be quite interesting maybe to have a television series that's complementary to it. It couldn't come out before it because the Legacy has to set the standard and the style, you know, uh, and then the TV guys come in and maybe do a prequel series on television, and I think that that could be interesting. And we've had those conversations, but there's nothing, uh, nothing firm yet. Yeah, you know. Okay,
0: um, and you too early to talk about whatever is coming to TV. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, that, okay. We, to, we did the deal actually about three or four months ago, but like uh, nothing's gone public yet, you know. So it's actually not that hard to work out because there's only a couple of things that are in the works as films. So you just think, you know, just just uh, have a look at the back catalogue and. Sorry, right, yeah. catalog <laughs> <laughs> do the math,
0: everybody. <laughs> yeah. We'll all do the math. That's that's fine. I uh, well, and I, and that's the thing because I mean you know like Secret Service well and actually the difference of Secret Service as a film compared to the miniseries and yeah. stuff which it always works much like wanted worked yeah. and, and the the little <coughs> references and stuff collaborating with Matthew Vaughn yeah, yeah. I mean no you, that really congratulations on the two of you finding common ground and, and making such interesting movies and very different movies as well. There's a thread there. Yeah. But but I do think that
1: yeah, they they've been they've mm-hmm. been great and fun. It's funny and so the the thread as the loser becoming something awesome, isn't it? I guess I wanted <laughs> as well. <But> it's quite <laughs> that's interesting. True. That's a theme in all that. That's true. Yes, <laughs> yes. But like um yeah it's funny that you mentioned Matthew because that's one of the things that puts me off television as well, is that no disrespect to people who work in T V but Somebody like Matthew is a world class director you know who can who can deliver like action scenes like the the, the final 25 minutes or something of, of secret service you could never do that as a television show you know uh, and then when you work in the budgets as well like if you think if you think uh, something like uh, Jupiter's legacy would be a 200 million dollar movie uh, to make so that would mean in, in in television terms it would be 100 million an hour you know, which would be impossible. I mean, that's never going to happen. So you, you're never going to have directors or writers uh, or actors, you know, at the same level that you can get in cinema. You know, so. I,
0: I don't know, man, because Scorsese did Boardwalk Empire and the Wachowskis and Straczynski you know, have this. Sense Eight, that is a new show that's on Netflix that just debuted but last week. Uh,
1: I don't know how, how much is a uh, you know like a big television show. What's the budget for for one yeah, hour, I, hour, I, hour. I, yeah,
0: I don't know either. But I keep hearing that Netflix is truly. I mean, God, they just bought the rights to a, a Brad Pitt movie and beat up the other studios. That oh no, we'll we'll run it. I mean, that's the thing. It seems like Amazon and Netflix ha- are putting huge yeah. amounts of money and and yeah, I don't I don't know, man. It just seems like the and you're right as far as. The spectacular film yeah. that does need over-the-top special but
1: even, effects, but like Daredevil is a great example. Even of, smaller ones, though, you know, like I, I wouldn't name names or anything, but I know that Hit, the head girl sequences in Kickass One are so fantastically choreographed, and the guy who does them is a guy called Brad Allen. And you couldn't afford Brad Allen on a television budget, okay? You know? So okay, yeah, you so know. something okay. that, I mean, the, the sequence where she runs down the corridor at the end of Kickass One is three three weeks' work. Two, two to three weeks work, okay. You know? And television couldn't afford to shoot a fight scene for three weeks. You know, shoot it for a day or two days. True.
0: You know, but comparing comparing to the Daredevil stuff and everything, I mean, look at those elaborate fight scenes. That, those that look it,
1: good, but I don't think they're as good as Brad Allen. You know? Well, and
0: and, yeah. and 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 certainly, yeah, more ac- more acrobatics. And it's funny, I'm only I'm only through episode nine because I'm savoring Daredevil. I'm, oh, taking, really? I'm yeah. taking my sweet
1: time. That's why I wish I'd done that because I was like, where's the next one? And somebody said, oh, you get fourteen months to wait. I was like, what? <laughs> That's why, exactly, yeah, man. Yeah, you would very you wise. wise. I was the glutton I, was I the yeah, no, no. (laughs)
0: And I I know, you know, they're making uh, Jessica Jones now. Yeah. So, And I imagine there's going to be some sort of common thread there as well. No, it's interesting because, and really, dude, I go back to when Wanted was in production and that was like when Sin City was, you know, coming out and everything or around that same time, I don't know, or close enough that, you know, it seemed like, oh, Miller's got the hot hand. And now the other Miller's got the (laughs) hot hand. And that's fantastic. I mean, Wanted was 08? 08, yeah. Okay, so in six years, good God. I mean, this this pile of movies, and, and, I'm, and I'm happy, but yeah, it just seems like TV, they're all saying, oh, you know, that's that's where you can tell a longer story, the yeah. bigger tapestry. But again, I can appreciate your own tastes, and also the fact that you're still seeing a lot of great, you know, European films. Yeah. The Europeans are still making slick
1: crime movies and great little, you know, tight little action movies and stuff. I think the American stuff is great, too, though, you know? I mean, I think we've never lived in a, a time as good as the last decade. I would say for superhero cinema and things comic book cinema it's fantastic I think at the other end there's great stuff as well you know like there's great comedies there's great dramas television's never been better than it is right now you know I mean the stuff I grew up with was Manimal and Automan and things like that <laughs> know, so like, me too so yeah. I mean I, I love the fact that we have something as good as Daredevil now you know but like uh, but we've get, I don't know I think it's a multiplication factor almost that's like, uh, there's there's never been as many talented people working in the industry as I think there is right now. It's the same in comics, same in television, same in cinema. It's amazing. Like, when, I remember when I was 17 looking forward to seeing Mannequin. Like, Mannequin looks pretty <laughs> good. <you know? laughs> and that's there was maybe three films a year that was actually any good I'm going every weekend I'm going to cinema every weekend we
0: were well we were happy to get that Reb Brown Captain America movie all those seventies Marvel movies no man, I know. I mean, I was definitely a couple of years older than you. Yeah, man. Yeah, I was there first day um,
1: for every one of those movies. Like, uh, were they in theaters over over? Oh, by, yeah, yeah. Okay, because they were so, TV but,
0: over here, you know.
1: Oh, we things you got as a TV pilot, we got as cinematic release. Sure, uh, back, sure. So things like. Um, this Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man that was, to me that was like Star Wars it was 1977 you had Star Wars 1978 there was Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man <laughs> outstanding <laughs> and I, and I went to see that four times in the cinema I went four times I was obsessed with it and sure. then somebody said they're making a TV show of this too and it was only years later I found out no, that was just an episode of the TV show you were watching in the cinema You know. that's hilarious no and I know that even in the 60s shows like The Man from
0: Uncle and things yeah. like that were, were released in, in Europe and everything is, yeah. as feature yeah. films
1: uh, tell me about uh, the relationship with Fox. And um, It's great. I mean, it's, you always think of Fox as the evil empire and everything. You know, growing up, you know, you always kind of think of Fox as, like, the guys you're not supposed to like. And I've loved them. You know, like, I remember walking in. Uh, I signed a four-year deal in August 2012. I remember walking into the first meeting and instantly liking everyone. You know, it was weird, like, because I thought, what are these guys going to be like? You know, I spoke to them on the phone. They seemed good. They made me the offer to, to come in and uh, work behind the scenes as a consultant. And, uh, and I thought, I'll you know, see, see what these guys are like. And the execs could not be smarter, more in love with the material. You know? And I think you see it in the movies. I mean, there was a change in the guard that Fox, really, in 2012. And um, the, the the wave of people who came in. Were oh, you I signed think. by the new regime? Or yes. the, okay, yeah. I, I actually was in the week of the changeover. You know, so it was kind of weird. I was like, "What's going on?" You know, and and I was in every day that week, so it was quite a kind of weird time to be in the building. But like, um, but you know, the, the guys who run the show there are great, and they've got such an incredible knowledge of the material and the love of the material. And it's not what I was expecting at all. I thought it was going to be okay. We have you know, we have all these franchises. This is a little marble pile. This is that. But they, a lot of them grew up with the stuff, you know, and they really know it and they really like it and I think especially the guys who came in at that period um, you know, it's from the first Wolverine movie uh, X-Men Days of Future Past, Deadpool, Fantastic Four, Age of Apocalypse this is the movies done by this regime at Fox and I think the quality is incredible, I, I, I think we always think of the the stuff that isn't happening at Marvel Studios as the stuff that's not the real deal and everything. As fans, we, we, I think that. But I think when I look at the standards and the level of directors that have been hired, the level of writers that have been hired, I think it's at least as good, and, and in some cases better. You know, I think Days of Future Past is the best of all the X Men movies. You know, the, the the plans I'm hearing about for the next Wolverine movie sound spectacular. Deadpool looks awesome. You know, Fantastic Four looks great everything looks interesting you know there's there's no journeyman directors in there you know That these every one of these guys who's been hired is an auteur and as a fan that excites me because what made Spider-Man work was a auteur like Sam Raimi what made X-Men work was an auteur like Singer coming in and, uh, and I like the fact that it's not some sort of you know a business that's running this show, as such as the creative talent. You know, and that's, that's what drew me in. Joe Carnahan at the time was going to be doing a Daredevil movie as well. But I remember just hearing these names and meeting these guys and thinking, you know, this this is where it's at. This is the stuff that's exciting me most right now. So uh, when I do a tour like Vaughn, mm-hmm.
0: you know, has when you guys have a difference of, of how you see the film versus yeah. what you wrote
1: and everything yeah, yeah how does that go um, very relaxed actually I mean Matthew and I um, we've got a real shorthand we're, we're really good friends I mean we met in 2007 I think uh, so we've known each other about pre-production him. of Wanted uh, or, or prior to no we, 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 met, uh, we
0: met oh no because Wanted was forgive Timur. me the, and also the other director too, right? yeah it was Timur Timur yes Timur yeah, no, okay.
1: Matthew and I met um, through our mutual friend Jonathan Ross um, who's a, a big TV host in the UK and um Matthew, it sounds insane when I think about it, but Matthew was doing the Thor movie at the time, and Jonathan told me some of his plans for it, and I wrote Matthew a a note and I said, "You know, I really disagree with some of your plans for the movie," and I must have seemed like a nutcase or something, you know. And Matthew phoned me up. And he just said, oh, you're very frank, aren't you?" And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess, you know." And we talked for about three hours, and we just got on like a house in fire. And he said to me, "Look, you know, I've got a movie coming out called Stardust in a couple of weeks. Why don't you come down to the premiere?" And I came down, and we hung out and everything. And we just we got on really well. It's funny, our lives could not be more different. We're both about the same age, you know. We were both born within 18 months or something of okay. each other. Um, and but we we our lives were in such different places. Like he grew up with butlers living like Bruce Wayne and everything the kids and, and like uh, you know he's, he's now got bodyguards he's married to a supermodel and everything you know he's, he's you know he is a Bond villain he's essentially a Bond villain you know? <laughs> and I just grew up this ordinary kid in the west of Scotland and, but weirdly the thing that we have in common is we love all the same things like and that's a really powerful thing that you know like when two geeks meet, it's quite a powerful force, isn't it? Because we tend to love the same music, television shows, cinema, comic books—you know, everything. So Matthew and I just talked about how The Incredibles. I remember I remember our first call quite clearly. We talked for about an hour about The Incredibles, of how it was the most perfect superhero movie ever made, you know. And we we were stripping it down and talking about what was awesome about it, and about and we were just like two guys who thought along the same lines, and we thought you know we should do something together. And Matthew said, "Have you got anything that you own the rights to?" Because I was working at Marvel at the time. He said, I can see they're using a lot of your stuff from the Marvel movies, you know, like uh, the, a lot of the plans that were coming from the book you've done. Um, and he said, uh, you know, have you got stuff you own yourself? And I said, I do, actually. I've got a couple of things. And I sent him down Kickass and American Jesus. And he, was, he read American Jesus first and wanted to do that. And then he read Kick-Ass and jumped over to Kick-Ass okay. I really
0: think that you, you especially and your films we're just seeing now the audience react to Not popular franchises Yeah Say what you will At least there was Some sort of understanding Of Iron Man When it came yeah. out But certainly wanted It was a whole new thing yeah. You know I think there's a slower burn Yeah And, and it seems like Your films even The kick ass movies did, I'm sure the DVD sales certainly boosted, you know, the
1: money that came in from the box office. It cost 28 million to make and we made 100 million theatrically and another 140 million on DVD and Blu-ray, so I mean, on a 28 million investment it did did great, it did like 240 million, but like, um, no it's interesting, like, um, you know you imagine there's a direct correlation between how famous something is as a concept and how big it performs as a movie, but it's not the case, like, Blade Like Blade was the first You suddenly thought Hang on a minute These movies are making a fortune But Blade never gets past Issue 20 As a a comic series That's true No you're right about it And Iron Man as well Like you say I mean Iron Man People have heard the name but they don't really know what it was prior to 2008. I right. didn't really know what it was. There was a cartoon, roughly, you know. The oh yeah, in the sixties. You know, but sure. in the same way, there was a submariner cartoon. Right. You know, oh yeah, was, like, no, a, absolutely big thing. And I always loved Iron Man, but like, um, but it never really quite caught on as a comic. And I, I remember even even when the Iron Man movies were were coming out, the, the comic sales were always pretty flat. They were always about thirty-five to forty thousand sales, and the. the they've never really spiked. You know, Iron Man's an, an, an odd thing. It never really quite found its audience, but yet the movies now make over a billion dollars, you know, so it's so fascinating.
0: My last episode uh, was Marvel's press conference, yeah. announcing Bendis and Dave Marquez yeah. taking over Iron Man. That'll and be
1: interesting, because I think that's has exactly. got a real shot. That's got a shot. Yeah.
0: Yes, and now, and now that people really are informed and yeah. everything, yeah, it, it will be. And that's why each time an Iron Man movie, or any of these major, even the Avenger movies, yeah. I do ask the Marvel guys, are, are you seeing anything as far as, you know, uh, mm. the upwards in, in sales and everything in, yeah. in comics, the cool thing is, and now they've got the cartoons yeah. to kind of fall back on. And so, if, if there's a movie hit, you know, certainly making a cartoon is more important yeah. than than obviously making a comic book or whatever. I mean, you know, it seems like that's like the reverse effect. I meant to ask you regarding and you said when you said The Incredibles. Um, I know you've got a kindergarten superhero yeah, kind of yeah, uh, yeah.
1: idea. Is that an animated thing that you might. I no, mean, no, it's, it's a live action. It's, it's live, live action, action, too. Yeah, okay. we're doing that at Fox. I sold that to Fox about two years ago. And the... Um, What's it called? Kindergarten Heroes. Kindergarten and Heroes. the guy who's done the screenplay is handing in his final draft now, you know, so we'll see where that goes from here. But I just, I quite fancy doing something a little different. Like, sure. I think, like, I've got three children, and, like, they can't really see what I do for a living, <laughs> which is weird. <laughs> yeah. you know? ah. it's, it's kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> in True Lies, you know, it's like they don't see what I do every day, you know, and, like, and I love the idea of doing something that they could be a part of, and uh, you know it seems awful, especially when you go somewhere lovely and you get a limo and things like that. You know the studio puts on a, a, an amazing spread for you, and the kids are sitting in a hotel room with a babysitter. You know, and it, and it just seems wrong. So, so my plan is to do some stuff that's a bit more sort of family friendly. And Chrononauts is like that. You know, and Starlight's like that. And yes, it, you know, pretty much, pretty much. More. It's interesting actually because I've got the rep as somebody who does quite hard stuff, but. But interestingly, most of my stuff has been PG. Like, see, over the course of my career, but when you look at it, the last 15 years, the ultimates, I couldn't get away with things in the ultimates um, that... Or, or Ultimate X-Men or, or anything set in the Ultimate Universe, I couldn't get away with things that you could get away with in the regular Spider-Man books. Like, I could, I think there was some words I couldn't say. Like I, I can't remember if I could say what the hell, but I don't think I could. You know? in it's an ultimate. Yeah, it's funny. You think it is ultimate is quite Yes, hard. and especially early on. Yeah, but, but if you actually look at it, we did the illusion of being adult, but there's nothing adult really uh, in terms of what you're seeing or hearing, you know? So there's no blood at all. Like, you actually okay. don't see any blood in it. Uh, uh, you know, many so, sexuality? Uh, oh, there's nothing. There's, there's well, but uh, well, not, well, not not nothing blatant. Yeah, well, there's, but, there's people who have relationships right. and things, but but you never saw anything like resembling nudity here, and, and the violence was very subdued. Actually, you know, there was there was the inference of violence as opposed to actual violence. So, um, so weird. I've, I've actually almost always worked under the PG thirteen Rails, you know. And so a couple of things I've done like Kickass, Nemesis. Um, Wanted, you know. So, uh, they, they've, they've, Interestingly, they've been very popular, but they've been the, the, the darker stuff, but generally the stuff I do is quite light, which which is a surprise to people. So whenever you see something like Starlight, people say, so I've never seen you do something that light before, and I was like, well, you know, almost everything I did at Marvel was was something children could drink, really, you know. Interesting. Well, and, I, and now I'm curious
0: about two things. One, uh, let's talk very fast, because Ultimates and Hitch's style, yeah. and the fact that it had kind of this big-budget movie yeah. look. Were you looking for that when you got Hitch, and did yeah. you, and that's you wanted kind of a cinematic look for
1: Ultimates? I didn't, is that I a, didn't want it to become a movie. But, no, but, uh, but, I'm just but I just saying in terms I, of visual, yeah, I wanted a cinematic visual because the way I was seeing it in my head was something that felt cinematic. You know, like I tend to think quite cinematically. Like the, the the visuals that are in my head are quite cinematic. Like, I don't see it in a cartoony style when I'm doing superheroes because I think real. It's interesting. I actually think that real life in comics is looked best when it's drawn cartoony. Because real life photographic is kind of boring, It's it's kind of like real life, you know. So when it's something that has case in point like Jupiter Circle, exactly when you've got lots of talking heads and things, I think to have photographic looking talking heads is dull. But if you have people that have a quirk to their artwork, you know, it's really interesting, you know. And that's why like underground comics are are independent comics. Uh, Traditionally, I think have been done in a slightly more quirky, cartoony style. Because they tend to be real life subject matter, and the blend is what makes it work. And I think what makes superheroes work is the realism. You know, so you juxtapose two opposites to make something interesting. You know, so I think like um, seeing somebody fly in a cartoony style isn't that interesting because you can't. It doesn't look awesome. Because everything looks a little weird, you know. Whereas if you see something photorealistic, that's that's something that couldn't happen in real life. Then suddenly that blows your mind. You're like, sure. "This is amazing." So whenever I was putting the Ultimates together, there was two artists that Marvel had suggested I worked with, and I was like, "I'd rather not do the book." And when I think about it, I was quite stubborn for a week. I was just starting out at Marvel, you know. Who were the like, guys that didn't make it? Oh, are you kidding?
0: I'll tell you what:
1: they're actually both great, great artists, but sure. they're just wrong for this project. If I was doing Spider-Man, one of them would have been fantastic. If I was an X-Men one in the movie fantastic okay. but ultimately I very clearly saw that it had to look like real people who happened to be wearing clothes and my big inspiration for it was uh, John Buscema's Avengers I remember reading that as a really young kid like when I was about five I had this treasury edition the giant sized treasury edition and I remember seeing this thing where the superheroes were sitting about wearing coats and things like that just raincoats, and they were having a coffee and things and I remember thinking that even as a kid like, this is amazing because they seem like real people and I wanted some, something that harkened back to that and you've no idea what a hard time I had getting this book off the ground, though, because nobody wanted to do it. Right? Like Marvel, uh, at the time, had no interest in the Avengers franchise. Like these, I remember when I, I, I was in the office a couple of times. I, 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 you know, pimped the idea of doing this, and they said to me, "Nobody's really that bothered about these these characters. Like, they are old characters. We should focus on Spider Man and focus on X Men." And I was like, yeah, but I I love these guys. I feel they're really untapped. And they were like, mm, why don't you do an Ultimate Wolverine book? You know, because I've been doing Ultimate X Men. Sure, sure. And I was like, but I'm doing Wolverine already, in, uh, in, in X-Men. and 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 X Men. I said, I, honestly, I just I believe in these characters. And I said, Ultimate Avengers would be amazing. And they said, but the Avengers is such a kind of like unsexy franchise. And I was like, I can't believe I'm hearing this, you know. They said, why don't we call it something else? So we spent wow. weeks trying to come up with a title, and that's why it got called The Ultimates, because oh, nobody nice. wanted to do The Avengers. Ultimate Avengers. And, wow. and, and Avengers didn't really, it took a while before people started to feel those characters of any worth, which is nuts. It was, it was crazy, because wow. I think even, even then, although they weren't selling massively well, I think Cap, Thor, Hulk, and Iron Man had, maybe that's what I remember or, or thought, but certainly Captain Hulk had a mainstream recognition, like, you could go to somebody in the store across the street from here and show them a picture of Captain America 15 years ago and they could name him, you know, so they like, knew who he was. So, yeah. so I always feel that's a really powerful thing, you've got something to build on then as well. So I'd had this idea in my head for a little while of how you could do the Avengers and, uh, but I'd, I'd had a lot of good grace with Marvel because Ultimate X-Men had launched at number one, so they were keen to get another book out of me, and I really dug my heels in, I said, I really wanted to do this Avengers book, and they said, okay, but Here's the artist, and I was like, "It's not the right artist, <laughs> you know." So I must have seemed like such a pain in the ass to these guys, you know. But I, I fought for Brian Hitch, and Brian had signed up um, to work at that. You remember Crossgen, that company? Oh, of course, product? absolutely. Yeah. Brian had signed up a three-year contract or something with them. And to Marvel's credit, they were great. Like, once they saw um some of the uh, plot ideas and things that were coming in, they said, yeah, I could see this working. And they actually paid a lot of money to get Brian Hitch out of his contract suggestion wow. and brought him over to do the Ultimates. So, Crazy. So I just knew Brian was the right guy. Like, if somebody else had drawn it, it wouldn't have looked right. Like, Brian made it look expensive, you know. Yes, it, absolutely. Everything that was happening. Oh, yeah, man. Looked cool. Everything, you know, like Captain America in costume looked like a man wearing a Captain America sort yes, thing. Yes, yes. It sounds so weird, it's so subtle, but it looks different. Most people draw costumes that look painted on, but looked as if they'd spent ten minutes getting ready into that costume.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, obvious, and I know you've been getting this question a lot lately because I've been watching a lot of your recent interviews and stuff. How does it feel watching the Marvel un- movie universe happen? And a lot of those seeds are, are your stories, certainly the Ultimates and the Avengers, Captain America Civil War coming up. Yeah. God, that's got to feel
1: great. It is, it's funny, you know, I mean, uh, even like Winter Soldier, you know, I mean, I have no <laughs> involvement with these things at all, you know. No, so and I, so I, exactly. I I go along and I, I'll be surprised, you know, like Cap jumping out without his parachute and everything. And went to, I was like, that's that's the scene I did in Ultimates, you know. So there's little things of the helicarriers crashing and everything at the end, you know, there's little moments where you say sort of think, oh. But I mean, Avengers is the most overt one, you know, I mean, Zach, sure, Zach, yeah. Zach Penn said, you know, from the Chutori right through to, you know, all the scenes with Cap and his old girlfriend, go back to see his old girlfriend and everything. You know, there's all these little moments uh, that that were in that original screenplay that Zach had written, and like, uh, and it's very flattering. It's really nice and everything, but it's kind of weird because. It's something I did so long ago. Like, um, I mean, I wrote, it's weird to think, but I actually wrote the Ultimate I started it 13 years ago, yeah, 14, 14 years ago, Jesus. and I left it, you know, like in 2006, like quite a long time ago, you know. So, so it's weird. Something having a bit of a second life, you know, like it, like working at Marvel was an amazing experience, but in some ways, it feels like university or something to me. It just feels like what I did before I do what I currently do. So, um, so yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's it's good, but I mean now I just look at it purely as a fan, you know, like a. Uh, you know, I've, I've no interest in and in, in working there or You don't talk like that, shop you know? with Joe or Brian or anything. Oh no, the, the, the
0: people. I yeah, use, but I'm saying yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of you know,
1: hey, this is like you know, like certainly Guardians being the big surprise that it was and everything. Oh no, know? I mean that's a different thing. I mean in terms True. of working, yeah, but like, but I mean Joe and Brian and everybody, of course. Yeah. You know, I mean their they're pals I'll know for the yeah. rest of my life and everything. You know, I, I love those guys, but uh, but weirdly we don't talk about work. You know, like which is funny. You know, like we'll just we'll drop each other emails or if we see each. If I'm in New York, the first thing I'll do is call Joe Casada. You know. Um, I, you know, I'm going to see Joe in a few weeks' time, but like um, San Diego, uh, probably just when I'm in New York. Oh, okay, <laughs> you know, so I, I'll, I'll call him up. You know, so I mean, we socialize and everything; we we all hang out. But the I, I feel as if the period of Marvel was my period at Marvel, and I always think it's a mistake to go back. You know, I think for for everyone, whenever you've done something and you go away, and then you come back, it's never quite that's the same, good you know or yeah or yeah, yeah. no um, I understand for, for everyone you know for, for the writer for the artist and for the reader <laughs> you know so, no I, so understand. I you know occasionally, interesting. occasionally it does I think if you come back and do a short thing like a special project it can be interesting because you do have ideas you know like Frank sure. Miller came back after four years and did Born Again yes which is his greatest work at Marvel I mean everything Frank Miller does is amazing but um, what, he, what he came back with was phenomenal it was incredible oh yeah but like um but if he'd come back and maybe done a five-year run or something, he might not have had that same energy that he brought to Six Issues, you know? So, like, uh, so, you know, I think I would never rule out doing a special project or something, but, but I think I would never come back and do a five-year run or something like that at Marvel, you know?
0: Yeah, and I, don't, I think, to be honest, I, I wonder if those years are really kind of over, with very few exceptions. It really doesn't seem like these days. Yeah. You know, and also, there's something we started talking about before we started recording, I want to get back to, and that is the generation before you. Yeah. The pinnacle was DC and Marvel. Yeah. You and Kirkman and Hickman and Brian Bendis and. Um, Grant and and all these guys have now shifted to this. Let's make our own stuff. Yeah, we've made our name at DC and Marvel. Let's yeah. bring our brand and our readers to yeah. our stuff and everything. Yeah, and yeah, just this evolution of the business. And you were saying too that you're you're impressed with how how smart and how business minded the creators have become.
1: I think it's really interesting because um, I, I'm, I'll always side with the creator over a company always. And it's funny because companies have incredible brand loyalty. Like as a kid when I was growing up. I loved Marvel and I loved DC. I never thought of it as human beings so who, who were making the stuff, but the guys who, who created that stuff were generally not rewarded. It's just that was the, the times they were in. You know, it's not that anybody's evil. That's just that's the, that's the corporate structure, um, and it's sad. You know, like we saw some incredibly talented people, you know, dying in not great circumstances uh, to the point where we have a comic book charity now, you know, to, to try and help people who are in dire straits. So I think we've learned a lesson of two generations of people who were kind of ripped off. You know. And um, th- there's a lot to thank the Image Guys for. And and I don't think they're given enough respect, actually, because they changed the game. Like, Kick Ass wanted, and all these things would have been known by Marvel or DC if it hadn't been for the Image Guys. Like, I'd have had no choice, because where else would I have gone with them? You know? Yes. So, like, um, so we owe them so much, we really do. And I think these guys, they don't get a huge amount of respect, I feel, you know, certainly from the fan community and from other the, creators. The original, you know, the, original yeah, the original, those, the image those guys. six Image Guys. Yeah. But they they took a gigantic gamble. I mean, these guys were making $2 million a year at Marvel back in 1991, 92, and then going over to give that up and to go to potentially bankruptcy. (laughs) You know, like, that could have been a complete disaster because they were up against Marvel and DC. And the fact that they made that work for them and made it work for all of us is incredible. It's so good. But what I love now is the savvy comic creator. I love the fact that people aren't stupid anymore, and they're sort of encouraged to be stupid, you know, like you, the, the companies do quite like it if you're stupid, you know, they love it if you give them a character for free, you know, they, they, you know they, they, it's in their interest for you to be stupid, so if, if a comic book creator gets savvy, it's nothing makes a corporation more nervous, you know, so, so what you're getting, I think, at Marvel and DC is obviously since probably the 70s, not much in the way of new characters, because people are smart enough to know, don't give your, your work away for free to these guys, um, but there's what that meant is, I think, very few new characters being created anywhere because there wasn't many outlets for them. But in the last ten years or so, people have taken advantage of that image setup. You know, people didn't quite get what it was for a long time. You had a decade of people not really using it, but certainly in the last five years, massively, the last ten years really to some extent, you've had an explosion of new characters. And it's good for us, it's good for pop culture, you know, because it seems crazy in a way that we, we often... Uh, we're we're working on characters that are 75 years old and bringing back villains that we've seen come back 20 times, 40 times or something. So it does seem quite interesting to me that suddenly we we do have a world where there's sagas and sex criminals and all this kind of thing. There's all these great new ideas out there that that people can hopefully read for the next 75 years.
0: I... uh I, I was trying to think of a word beyond uh, calling it university in terms mm-hmm. of where DC and Marvel's period is. It's yes. almost like an apprenticeship Yeah, where you yeah. really do get your skills and you really do reach that A-level and yeah. everything. And yeah. you get to play with the big toys. Which is very
1: exciting, actually. It's so, great fun doing that stuff. Yeah.
0: We talked also, and it was interesting. Uh, we were having breakfast with, with a guy who had a uh, Central City track team yeah. uh, t-shirt on. And we were talking about logos. And how important it is. And it seems, you know, from a marketing standpoint, beyond the story itself, how much do you think about the toys and things? Because certainly for the big two, yeah. that's the real gravy, that's yeah. the real money, even, yeah. you know, as on par with television and film. Yeah. But and, but and and you know comics are, are the last thing. There's mm-hmm. certainly a healthy living to be made from
1: publishing books. Yeah. But do you, do you think about that other side? I never think about it when I'm writing it. You know, because I think you sure. go mad. You end up with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the I just started Tim Seely's book <laughs> yeah. about the uh, He-Man. Go on. That's yeah. a great book by the way. I, oh, that's I really just, nice. I, I just got that. book Oh, I'm going to tell yeah, T- yeah. Tim that you said that. That's what you hopefully hear. This is. I'm well. actually a big fan of Tim Sillies. I've been picking up all of his things. You know, but, but that that is is fantastic. I love that. That's on my coffee table at home in Scotland right now genuinely I got it last week but like um, but I think you know if you if you think too much about what something could become you end up with something not very good in the first place you know so if you sit down and you actually think you know that this character I'm creating right now would be an amazing toothbrush you know <laughs> Then, then you're not going to write the best story. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and it's funny, like, Kick-Ass, for example, I never imagined Kick-Ass would have a life beyond a comic because it's, it's such an odd concept, isn't it? You know, it's an unattractive hero with no powers who's not very good, huh? you know, and he's no money, he's no gadgets or anything like that. So, so I never imagined that would have a life beyond a comic. I just wanted to write that story, you know. So then what happened was, suddenly we've got a Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl Pez dispenser and we've got Hit-Girl bags and we've got hoodies with Kick-Ass with zippers on them and everything and it's fantastic I mean I love it I love walking into a store like HMV or something in the UK and seeing a wall of my stuff as toys and things it's great but you, you can't think about that going in you know you, you, you just have to when the book works out well and there's a movie or whatever then you talk to some um, merchandising people you know and, and you get a company to maybe be licensed this stuff out and it's fantastic I mean Marvel's I remember hearing when I worked at Marvel that Spider-Man toys made more money when the movie was out than the movie made I like, believe it I think the toys made something like 1.1 billion I the believe year it. that the movies made 800 million you know and like uh so, I mean, financially, it's fantastic for creators as well because you get a little piece of that. Sure. Well. Bob Kane,
0: that classic yes. example and everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, in the 40s or 50s saying, hey, is it okay if I just have a percentage of the merchandise? Yeah, whatever, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Multi-millionaire till the end. I Amazing. mean, you know, that wow. was, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, Crononauts. Uh, we didn't talk about it. I'm, I want to because uh, a great, again... Really good for you that you're able to get these wonderful artists like Sean Gordon Murphy, and obviously you know he's he made his name prior to working with you yeah. as well. But uh, I love the look of the book, but also just the fun of it. And it is it it. There's another odd kind of you know <laughs> duck of a of a comic book. Yeah, yeah. I can think of cinematic. I guess you know. So yeah. it's kind of Back to the Future on steroids. It's like Buddy Cop movie meets Back to the Future, I suppose. Yeah. But even more, and we're. Just getting, we haven't seen consequences yet yeah. of all this meddling, of, of you know, do, taking selfies during JFK's assassination <laughs> or, or the, and the like. You know, uh, it's no, it's hilarious, and and we're about to twist and everything and get into you know some repercussions, yeah. obviously after issue three. But uh, yeah, there's a fun book that again lends itself, I think, to a to a movie idea. Uh, you I know, think, I
1: would have think so. You don't think most things could could work as a movie? If, if they work as a comic, they tend to work as a movie. I think I can almost think of no comic I love that wouldn't be a great movie you know like um Watchmen weirdly is one of the ones that is difficult because it's a twelve act structure, so that Again, doesn't necessarily I, work as a movie. Well, and that's
0: why I thought with Jupiter Circle too to learn the lesson of Watchmen because we all said when we was talking about a movie, yeah. oh, it would make a much better HBO series. Exactly, yeah. Let Terry Gilliam do it on HBO, please. Yeah, you know, because <laughs> most, most, most comics are
1: a three act structure though. Yes, know? so they tend to work very well. Like, uh, like Batman Year One would have been a great Batman movie. You know, Great character. Like yeah, King <laughs> comes a fantastic uh, as a fantastic setup for a movie and everything. So, so I think most comics I love do tend to work as movies I, I genuinely can't think of a single example Dark Knight Returns, all my favourite stuff I can't think of anything that wouldn't be a great movie you know?
0: That's fair the, uh, uh, Marvel Zombies and, and really the whole zombie quest yeah. <laughs> because you started it in Fantastic Four yeah. they get Kirkman to write Ma- Marvel Zombies Yeah. and also of course Kirkman's doing Walking Dead Yeah. but it is kind of funny that you were like at, early on and, and saying hey you know
1: zombies are fun I remember pitching I actually pitched the series called Marvel Zombies to Marvel um, and nobody liked the idea, but you know, everybody said this, this is this is sucky, you know. And uh, there was one guy who liked it actually, Axel Alonso liked it. I remember around the table uh, Axel Alonso says, Oh, that's really cool, I like that. And uh, Axel's great, you know. And he called uh, me afterwards and he said, I think there's, there's something in that. And then I had breakfast with Joe Cassada the next morning and I was a bit bummed because I thought I, I could do this uh, Marvel Zombies book. And Joe was like, I don't know, I'm not sure. He said, How would you like to do Ultimate Fantastic Four? And I was like, No, I, I want to do this <laughs> Marvel Zombies thing. And he said, Why don't you put the Marvel Zombies in Ultimate Fantastic Four? And I was like, Oh. And that sort of suckered me in, you know. So I did 12 issues of Ultimate Fantastic Four in the first three and the last three with the Marvel Zombie characters. Uh-huh. (laughs) and then they they did the Marvel Zombies spin-off series from there because I think they realised this visually it's something that worked very well because the visual I had, I started drawing this thing of a stretchable zombie you know like Reed Richards as a zombie and I thought there's something quite creepy that you run behind the door you lock the door but the zombie can slope down under the door and come in and get you and I thought that's <laughs> terrifying you know. And that's, what I, that's, and that's what I pitched to Marvel when I was sitting at the table with everyone and you know, everybody was like that's the worst idea I've ever had. <laughs> well, and Civil War I remember yeah. was an
0: afterthought because they were going to do a different event and you and Brian are like this is not good
1: yeah I mean, that was one of those things we used to do these 3D play- sessions, you know, where we'd all get together and think about the next six months, or the next year. And I remember the idea was to do Planet Hulk. Planet Hulk was actually going to be a big Marvel event, and I just didn't feel it. I thought it was a great story, actually. I love Planet Hulk. I think uh, I think Greg pack's terrific, actually. Tremendous, sure. And it's I remember the sales just going up and up on the Hulk at the time it was perfect for it but it felt like a Hulk story it didn't feel like a Marvel a event, event and that happens but, you know, a lot in recent events
0: as well yeah. go on I, that, I that think are blown up too big
1: I, I think it's important you know that you have you have a, an ensemble of characters in an, an event you know and that's what's interesting to see these guys pulled into the same story so when yep. it's all just based around the Hulk it just it didn't feel right and we, we all felt it we were all like there's something not right here and day one we were like mm, not sure day two and then Joe was who wants to write it you know anybody up for this and we're like Nobody was feeling it, you know. And then it was day three, just at the very end of the whole retreat, the, the, the you know like civil war just sort of worked out. And like, and I think it, it's funny. It's one of those things that, uh, you know, sometimes you get a whole bunch of people together in a room and and you come up with nothing for a couple of days, and then there's just one final conversation, and the whole thing just explodes. You know, it just it worked out great. And uh, at the time, I remember thinking this is the biggest pain in the ass I've ever had in terms of of working. But I'm so pleased that it's worked out and people... You know, it's a lovely thing to have on my shelf and it's been made into a movie now and everything and people really like it. It's one of those things people talk about and it's, like it's one of those milestones like Secret Wars or Crisis or whatever. But it was so difficult at the time. you know. I remember as I was writing it thinking, this will be over soon. You know, like it's... It it was fun to do... Uh, Is it from a pressure standpoint, or just the fact that there are so many other people... Just all the other people involved. ...that are doing their sub-stories and stuff. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, I remember Marv Wolfman talking about this. As as a kid, I used to read interviews with Marv, um, and he would talk about it being a nightmare, because guys would cross over with Crisis and Infinite Earths, and you couldn't always quite control things. But uh, Civil War became such a beast of its own, you know, that we were having pretty much every Marvel title tying in with it every month for the entire run of the book. And the book actually ran for about nine months because there was a couple of delays. Yes. So you get literally dozens, if not hundreds, of titles that seemed to tie this book. And I didn't even read them. There was just so many. And a lot of people are late with their books. A lot of people are um, changing their scripts as they're going along. Were changing, And sometimes people just wouldn't do what you told them. You know, so, so yes. I, was, I was writing the, the core book and I would say, right, okay, you go off and do this with your character and everything and, you know... The, the, for this issue between issue four and five I need this to happen if your character's coming in here and people were just going and write their own thing it was like so it was was, honestly it was like juggling gas it was the maddest thing
0: Well, and I saw you uh, at the uh, Scottish Film Festival talking about this as well and it's funny you mentioned because the the hosts were saying oh man you know Spider-Man now being able to be in the Marvel movies this is great for Civil War and you're like you know that was only five pages in your story but it was such a huge moment in the event yeah played out in Spider-Man too. Exactly, yeah. and you know yeah so it, it is interesting that like yeah what what was five pages to uh, you really was this like major moment in Peter's life where suddenly he's you know exposed and everything
1: yeah and the repercussions yeah. I mean I, I do think I, I don't know what their plan is in terms of Spider-Man um, for Civil War but I do think it would be weird to have Spider-Man expose his secret identity when they just get him back in the Marvel yeah. Cinematic yeah. Universe yeah, I'm, I'm so I, I didn't it. see that happening no I, I me, don't think the, so either the Spider-Man stuff is the least important part of Civil War to me the, the whole point of Civil War as also not the secret identities thing. Like people get really hung up on the secret identities thing, but um, it, that, yeah. it was not a fa- it was not a factor in the story really much at all because most of the, the characters had been outed at that point anyway. Like Cap's identity was known, Iron Man's identity was known. Really, there was only about three or four characters who weren't. So the big thing was, do we work for the government or don't we work for the government? Are we licensed like cops or are we rogue agents like vigilantes? And that was what Civil War was about, you know, and and I think that's what the movie will be about too, because there isn't enough superheroes for it to be that interesting with the unmasking. Yeah. Do you think is that a, a conceit, the secret identity that is going away?
0: Because I and, and it works wonderfully for Jupiter's circle yeah. when you've got a private life and a public life.
1: Yeah and then I can see that still working today yeah. but it does seem like in general yeah. the
0: big two are moving away from secret identities
1: I think they have for 15 years but one thing that I'm really really pleased about is that they have because now I'm reclaiming it you know so like in Jupiter's Circle I love writing the secret identities it's like I think they've forgotten how cool a secret identity is like the secret identity is the interface between the hero and the reader because he's like us. You know, he's he's we can imagine being Clark Kent in a way we can't imagine being Superman. Peter Parker we identify with in a way we don't with Spider Man. So I, I do think there's something wonderful about it and I think it's great for scenes as well. Like there's great moments, you know, where you, you have a problem happens the super, you know a superhero in a secret identity has to get away and change, and that's when you know you're in for fun. That's like the, the wink to the reader that you're about to see something awesome, like Clark Kent running into a broom closet and flying out of a window, or Peter Parker, you know, sort of like changing Against Spider-Man, or Captain Marvel, you know, Billy Batson saying the word Shazam. Like these are the moments where it's like a, a signpost to the reader that things are about to get exciting. And when you lose the secret identity, you kind of forget that. So Ju- Jupiter's Legacy is all about rediscovering what makes superheroes awesome you know like we start in that place that superheroes have been in for 10 or 15 years which is the first couple of issues where it's the celebrity superhero and they want to change the world and all this sort tropes that we've really done for the last decade and a half but what it's done is it's a re-examination of the baby that was thrown out with the bathwater. And the, the concept of heroism there is actually fascinating because it's something that we don't see all the time. You know, like the idea of the altruistic superhero who doesn't want, a, you know, a, a merchandise deal and all that kind of stuff. You know, all the uh, 21st century tropes of superheroes. To so actually strip it right back to the almost golden age idea of somebody with a secret identity who helps people when there's a crisis. Like, that's so old-fashioned that it's kind of almost new again. So Jupiter's Legacy is all about rediscovering that, and and we obviously play around with that in Jupiter's circle too. That's excellent.
0: Are there things that are happening in current events? I've always appreciated... Your following of what's happening now, mm-hmm. and you've been very vocal, and also done interesting little like I remember your Tony Blair, George Bush, mm-hmm. are we doing the right thing kind of mm-hmm. uh, thing you did for one of the newspapers. Yeah, I newspaper to say. Then, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know our current events, you know feeding your your story oh, ideas. Oh yeah, always. Cinema.
1: Yeah, it's funny they do in subtle ways. They do, sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it. You sure. Know? So like, uh, but I find myself I'm more I think I'm more influenced by what's happening around me than what's happening an issue of a comic or whatever you know so I, and I think that's a good way of reaching a mainstream audience as well I sure. think if you, if you tell stories about real people and real events but wrapped up in genre that's like a classic science fiction idea isn't it you know like science. the best science fiction isn't about the future it's about the present and and I think I try and bring that to my stories as well like I like to write about something that anyone can understand I think that's this is what I love about creator owned like whenever I used to um, do company on characters I used to give my books to my family you know like my brothers or whatever or Cousins and they would say to me, I've no idea what's going on. Because <laughs> they've, no, they've got no back history of the Right, of right. Whereas if you hand Starlight or something to them, they get it, you know, and they read it. And now they actually read my books in a way that they didn't, for years, which is quite nice. Guy, thank you for mentioning Starlighting, because good Christ, I love that. It was oh, great.
0: Thanks. Oh, I'm a huge space opera fan. Yeah. And it really, I got to meet Buster Crab oh, when he was in his 70s. Yes, oh, I was oh, 12 was years old. He came to Chicago with a like, revival, you know, kind of what you see at like, memorabilia shows. Wow! And it was just him uh, with a couple episodes of Flash Gordon and stuff, and just talking about the old days. It was fantastic. That's amazing. And yeah. He's
1: one of my absolute heroes. I, I, I respect the well, that,
0: you know, I, I was thinking it would be fun to put today's social media geek world yeah. into the old days, yeah. and have people go, "Well, who's better, Buster Crab or Crash Corrigan, <laughs> or you know, some of those other old yeah, like yeah. Uh, serial kind of heroes yeah. and stuff like that?" So. Yeah, I, I'm thrilled that the movie is in development and yeah. everything, and God, I can only imagine some of the great, older action heroes that you can get. I, I love Liam Neeson and everything yeah. he does. I don't want him to do everything, <laughs> and I really think you've given another opportunity for a really interesting, geriatric you know, hero. <laughs>
1: well, you know, no, <laughs> We're yeah. never going to get anyone to play this now. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, but you, yeah, I don't want yeah. George <laughs> Burns. Yeah, I'll go back and do a wash. No, <laughs> no problem.
1: <laughs> but I think there's a, there's a little window for the There's somebody between the ages of about early 50s and early 60s for this, you know, and there's quite a few guys at that age group because. The movie stars that we grew up with are about that age now. Right. You know, they, uh, so, uh, like Tobey Maguire and those guys were sort of eclipsed by the characters that they played. You know, the, the Spider-Man Absolutely. was the movie star. Christian Bale wasn't the star of the yes. Batman. You know, but whereas the uh, you know Liam Neeson's, the Mel Gibson's, you know the Trent guys, Stallone. You know? Yeah, the, they're all around sixty. Those guys. Yes, you know, the yes, Night indeed. 50s are sixty. Yes, yes, So there's quite a lot of good good people to choose from, and that's something that we're talking about now. The script's done now. You know, so the idea is to find the actor, and that's really exciting. You know, like Cronenweth and Star. Like, will be the two that will be done next, you know. So, Fantastic. so as exciting hearing the names being banded about now that we're looking at for for possibilities. God, man, I can't I can't wait seeing cracking open a pyramid and
0: finding a, a, a fighter fighter plane and stuff like that surrounded oh, by me too. I, Egyptian I stuff,
1: wait. like. The, the, the team that's doing this I feel so confident with you know it's the guys who did Fast and the Furious 7 you know so oh fantastic they, they know how to make you know big commercial movies yes 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 and we've got one of our two chrononauts signed up already we know who the other one is that we want and everything so hopefully soon we'll get an announcement with those two as well you know so I don't know it's, it's happened very fast but it suddenly is starting to feel very real it's exciting I really hope Super Crooks happens at some point too and I know you were uh, working with that Natural, Smash Natural, uh, Natural Vigilandry yeah man yeah. and what was this movie Timescape or? Time crimes yeah I watched it, it I watched oh, it? Like I like it? Like? it
0: oh absolutely Absolutely, man, that was fantastic. fantastic.
1: He's in it, you know, he's the he's the guy with the beard.
0: I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. excellent. Yeah. Oh my god. Are there any other European filmmakers we should watch for? Because all we get is
1: mostly, like I said, well, that, the American Nacho's, stuff. Nacho's actually about to become a big deal, like um, in the US, he's already a big deal in Europe, but like uh, Nacho's budgets have tended to be between 1 and 2 million euros at the moment. Um, but what's great is he's about to do a movie that's like 10 million dollars, you know, um, and actually I think it's going to be even more than that now because he's just signed up Anne Hathaway for his new movie. Oh, fantastic. And it's such a great wow. concept, it's called Colossal. This is his next picture, and I've held Super Crooks off because um, different people have asked for it. and I made a promise to Nacho that I don't want anyone directing it apart from him. And because Nacho had done these one and two million euro movies, they were worried about giving him 40 or 50 million dollars because okay. he said, Well, he needs to do a sort of effects picture or something first before he, which I think is ridiculous, you know, but because you're either a good filmmaker or you're not a good filmmaker, and, and, and he's great. and I said, Well, I don't want to go to anyone if it's not going to be Nacho, so um. I don't know, we'll see if, if the Anne Hathaway movie works out really well. Hopefully, Super Croots could be his next thing, which would be fantastic. But the, the concept for Colossal is so great. The idea is like... I oh, hope this is public. Yeah, it is public. It's good. Okay. right? Uh, like, there's a, a, a giant monster attacks Japan, right? Like a Godzilla-style monster. Sure. And starts smashing the place up. And this girl's watching it on TV and when she raises her hand you know to scratch her head or something the monster scratches its head So they get some and, 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 and then link. when she bends over or whatever the monster bends over and she realises that she's got this link to the monster wow. and she doesn't know why but then she thinks she'd just broken up with her boyfriend and you know she hates her boss and things like that and she thinks I'm going to bring this monster to New York and destroy everyone I hate <laughs> wow <laughs> and like this is fantastic uh, voyage or, yeah. for, or forbidden planet rather forbidden yeah. planet I, and it's so ridiculous wow. I of it so it's a romantic comedy with a monster in it. that's so hilarious so it's like like the devil wears Prada meets Godzilla. You know? <laughs> that's that's really funny. Wow, that's
0: really, really
1: interesting. But Nacho's great, you know, he's he's just great at these little odd ideas and just carrying it through. he's, he's got a great superhero idea that I hope he does one day too. Mm-hmm. How much did you get a chance to meet and kinda of talk to Josh Trank with Fantastic Four? Yeah, I spent quite a bit of time with him um when I first started at Albert Fox actually and then once, I mean the purpose of my thing is yeah, me of, uh, it's not so much to sit with the directors um It's more sort of behind the scenes with the execs, you know, and sort of do planning sessions like who would be a good director to bring in for this thing, what character could be exploited here, you know, in some way, you know, does this character work well as a buddy movie with that character, that type of thing, you know, so we we chat about that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, But, you know, I I, I talk, once I read a draft of the screenplay, I'll talk to the writers and things as well. So Josh Trank and I uh, spent a few days together back in 2012 um, before he really got defensive of Fantastic Four, um, so we got to hang out, and it was really interesting because I was a massive fan of Chronicle. Me too. That was that me was too. my favorite superhero movie that year. One of the for best. Avengers was No, but truly one of the best, and yeah. on a
0: shoestring too, and to achieve what no, he did.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was a really interesting guy, and really exciting to hear his plans for Fantastic Four. And I just I knew right away something interesting was going to happen. It was going to be unlike anything that you could imagine for a Fantastic Four movie. And he showed me a lot of the sketches he'd done and stuff like that. You know, so so I think Josh is great. I mean, I love the fact that there's that eclectic mix of directors. Then. You've got guys like Matthew, you've got Brian, you've got James Mangold, you know, and you've got somebody like Trank, you know, and, and, a, and a bunch of new guys that they're bringing in now too for the next wave or something. Real quick, have you seen the final cut of Film I haven't before? seen the final cut, I've just seen chunks here and there. But okay. I haven't seen an assembled thing. Matthew Vaughn had seen it though. Matthew um, saw a, like a, a, an unedited version, like a, a first run at it, and he was really impressed. He thought it
0: Some of the, uh, we hear about You know, directors coming in and out of films. Obviously, we've seen with the superhero films coming out of DC and Marvel and stuff, that it is more producer-run, it seems, than director-run. So it is that auteur of of film versus what seems to be working, certainly in the Marvel world and everything, of Look, if this director isn't working, get him out of there. The train is running. We'll get another guy in that can do the job and do it well. But it is different. We're we're about to see it with that man, with Edgar Wright, in the swap around, Uh, Trank, you know, in and out of uh, Star Wars and things that, that are coming up. What you know, as someone that's been on the inside. Can you quantify? I mean, again, in the case of Matthew Vaughn, it seems like he, he's still an auteur and able to get his voice. And again, working with your stuff yeah. might make it easier. But you well, tell Matthew
1: me. finds it a lot easier because he finances his own movies. So like he yeah. well, there you go. usually a direct, I direct <laughs> cap and cap in hand to the studio and says, "Give me a hundred million dollars." And like what Matthew does is he says, "Here's a DVD of my movie. Would you like to distribute it?" You know, and it's and it's crazy. But he he borrowed 28 million for Kick-Ass. He borrowed 81 million for uh, for, uh, for Fantastic. Kingsman. So Fantastic. It's, it's crazy. So I mean, they could end up being the most expensive home movies ever. <laughs> <laughs> but he's so good that he's managed to sell them and sell them well. You know, and it's, they've done great for him. So, um, but the other guys, yeah, it does that does concern me actually because I do think. I I think comics and movies are more related than people think and what happened back in the early 1990s in comics was the guys who were the auteurs of the comic book industry faded away from the big two and the big two started bringing in a lot of talent they could control so they had people who would write parts of stories and bring in other people to write other parts of stories and you had to buy all the comics to understand everything that was going on it was like the marketing guys were writing the comics it almost felt like it was very editorially driven And I do see that happening cinematically as well, which is interesting, you you know, with Marvel and DC, that it does feel as if there's guys sitting behind desks engineering this stuff instead of the Sam Raimis and all that, you know. And that's what I do like about Fox. Like, the Fox guys do step back. And let the the directors call the, the shots, yeah. which is the important thing, because it's you're making a movie, you're not making a marketing thing, you know. Sure. So like, um, so that's something I do think that they have to watch, because you do see some cheap talent being brought through. Like, I know they don't spend the same kind of money on writers that they did five years ago, you know. Like, uh, they, they slashed the budgets for writers, um, and and that's a slightly worrying sign. But then sometimes you do find people who. Are you know sort of new to the blockbuster who turned out to be fantastic? Like who would have guessed the Russo brothers would do an amazing Captain America movie? Um, James Gunn has turned. In, I think hands down the best Marvel movie of the lot. You no know? question. And James, James isn't a guy who was a superstar director prior to that. He's become one now. You know? Yes, but, but he wasn't. I've always been a fan. I've been into him for years. But like, um, but Marvel. I think you know sometimes they'll go cheaper and find guys who are not very good, but sometimes they strike gold with people like James Gunn. So I do think it's interesting. Like TV directors tend to cost less money, um, and I do see that there's a bit of an appetite for for those guys coming through. So it's something they have to watch. But, you know, the, the quality has been good. I don't think they're invincible, though. You know, I think Thor 2 was a bad movie. Iron Man 2 is a bad movie. That's interesting. I like I liked Thor 2. Iron Man 2 was definitely the yeah, weakest yeah, of the three. Yeah. And the Avengers 2 is weaker than Avengers 1. Yeah, but but so, in both cases, I still thought entertaining. But entertain it, but go on. Please. It's true. It's a bad, so I do think... But lesser movies, you can ne- You can never be complacent. And I do remember in comic book terms in the early 1990s, Marvel were a juggernaut You the end of the world, un- Unassailable and then very quickly once they started to feel that the brand was more important than the, the creators yeah. then you had a, a massive drop in quality and a massive drop in sales massive like, I, mean, I remember. dude I walked away a was, lot of us walked away it was Armageddon yes I mean, it really was Armageddon yes and it hit the industry as a whole you know so I do think that you've got to keep the quality quotient and you've got to pay the money and get good writers and good directors generally but so far so good you know I think like You know, Marvel generally do a good job with the movies. Uh, The Fox do a great job with the movies. Sony look like they're getting their act together and everything. You know, the the deal with Marvel and everything. So, so I'm very optimistic in the way it's going. DC, fingers crossed. Who knows? You know, sure. But, But as
0: I heard you say in the Scottish Film Festival as well. One blockbuster and they'll fix they'll fix it. Even yeah. even if Batman Superman doesn't work yeah. for yeah. whatever reasons, yeah. hopefully, fine. They're, that'll just mean the next two, until the next two years when they come up with something else. Exactly because I, mean, I think do you agree that these guys are kind of not totally bulletproof, but yeah. they will serve like the comic book genre or, yeah.
1: or superhero film genre yeah. is safe and not going to be one bad film and we're out. I think what will happen inevitably is there'll be uh, superhero movies will have to go away. You know, I think that's inevitable at some point. You know, because are uh, certainly not be as dominant as they yes. are. You know, they still yes. really exist in some they'll, form. they'll, of they'll pull back a lot. But, but something will happen. You know, where maybe the crown gets taken by Star Wars this Christmas. You know, that's a real sure. possibility. Sure. And then what's interesting is sci-fi for, for the next ten years or whatever. You know, so, so I think what will never go away now is the comic book movie because like Sin City, three hundred. Kingsman, Road to Perdition. These are all comic book movies. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And, and there's nobody would say, "Oh, I'm not going to see something that's an adaptation of a comic book movie." But they might say, "Oh, I'm fed up with Iron Man." You right. You know. So the characters that disappear and new ones that emerge. like Ant Man could have six great movies ahead of him. You know. I think it sure. a lot of fun. You know, that could work. I'm hoping, ahead. yeah. So like, so, but you might find people are a bit tired of something something else. You know. Sure. It goes away for a while I do think there'll be an inevitable decline in superhero, and uh, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I think. The stuff coming up is still so strong looking. Like, I think Marvel's five year plan looks really interesting. And I'm going to go and see those movies, you know, and uh, I'd imagine most other people will too. Where it goes after 2020, who knows, you know? agree. But even if we get 20 years as a run of superhero movies, that, that's, that's, a lot, that's a lot better than it used to be when we'd be looking forward to Mannequin. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All
0: right, that's a good place to bud it. Hey, it's my 10th year. Uh, doing word balloon. Wow! And I want to thank you for being part of it for nine years because in 2006 is when we had our first conversation. Wow, that's crazy! And, and truly, uh, I'm always interested in what you're thinking and what you're making, and continued success with the current projects of Chrononauts and Jupiter Circle and Legacy and the you know the, the Legacy movie coming up as well. Uh, and and yeah, man, it's it's a really interesting time, and and I'm glad that you're a big part of it. And oh, thank you. Absolutely. Well, you tell wonderful stories, Mark, and I'm just glad that the audience keeps widening and appreciating what you're doing. Thanks so. very much. That was very So there you go. From uh, 2015, uh, wow, eight years ago, Mark Miller. And uh, again, I urge you to check out Mark's uh, podcast. It's on YouTube. It's called Miller Time. Uh, and uh, these are wonderful conversations that he's having with a lot of our favorite creators uh, from uh, the present and the past. So uh, make sure you check that out. Always on the lookout for another great uh, podcast. And Mark delivers. Of course he does. He knows what he's doing. So I uh, hope you enjoyed our uh, conversation today. More great stuff coming this week on Word Balloon. Rom V is going to join me during the day on Tuesday for a Word Balloon chat. And I hope you'll join us for that. Uh, talking about his wonderful run on Detective Comics and a whole lot more. Uh, and then uh, we'll see how the rest of the week uh, plays out. I got a couple other irons in the fire and just waiting to get confirmation from everybody. But uh, you can definitely count on Rom V on Tuesday here on Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2023. Stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy.